Uh, all right, so turn to Acts 15. The last time we met, just two weeks ago, it just always seems like an eternity. Um, <laughs> sometimes when it's like, how, how long ago do we meet? And we're right in the beginning of Acts chapter 15, which is that transition point in uh, Acts. And it's, it's kind of one of those interesting things that, um, you know, you know it's like the halfway point, and it is kind of a transitional point, but... The more, it's, it's good to kind of, you know, for me, I was like, ah, I could probably teach this in about two, two lessons, but it looks like it's going to be about four. And, um, but that's good because each week there are certain new things and new angles that, you know, I, I'm exposed to and I see and something that's really important in, in, uh, in this chapter um, and the events that we see with the Jerusalem Council. So last time we met, you know, we kind of talked about what, what does it mean to be saved, um, it's a huge question. Uh, the Jerusalem Council, that's what, kind of what they talked about when you know, Paul and Barnabas went down and they gathered the apostles and elders to talk about this issue about whether Gentile believers needed to follow the Old Testament law in order to be saved. Um, and the party of the Pharisees demanded that, you know, that the elders and apostles make them follow the Old Testament law. And so that was kind of where the conversation went. And so we saw that faith is really the only thing that is necessary. And we say that, you know, growing, I say growing up or being involved in, uh, you know, uh, a church like ours, whether it's our church or previous churches, you know, kind of in that, um, you know, I guess just in evangelistic uh, type churches, is that would be obvious. It's faith is all that you need. But we did talk about. Even in the Reformation, 1,500 years after, coming out of the Catholic Church, which was the big um, issue was, you know, we don't need to do these sacraments, we don't need to do all of these things, we don't need to, you know, um, and there was a lot of abuses, uh, but coming out of that through the Reformation, there was still a huge, you know, things were never, weren't fully resolved, and uh, we looked at the, the Anabaptists, and uh, how they were persecuted for saying that we don't need to baptize our infants. The only reason you do baptism is, uh, um, is as a response, as a believer. And how they were persecuted for that idea that we would just readily accept, especially in the Baptist tradition today, um, as something that is you know, clear in Scripture. Um, so that idea about adding on to uh, what it means to be saved... Um, and what you know, what issues of obedience are, and how they actually impact your salvation, they creep into our lives. They creep into the church um, uh, in different ways, and so um, so that's kind of what we talked about a couple weeks ago. So as we're thinking about um, where we're going today, the we kind of left it as like these are the things that the church said. Okay, we're going to recommend that the Gentiles do these things. Now, to set the stage for that, we had to say. There's nothing that you need to do in order to be saved. But then, like I said, we'll get to the next few verses. There's some things that are going to be recommended to do. And uh, the reason for that is to make sure that the church um, is a good witness to the outside, but also that the church is, uh, uh, remains intact as they weather whatever storms are going to come and that they're going to face in the future. Um, and really what speaks to this issue and even what we'll actually see, it's kind of, it kind of been nice to do this all in one teaching because we'll actually see like a kind of a companion piece to, to this beginning, um, which actually, what actually fa- falls out um, between Barnabas and Paul 
uh, but we'll get to that next time, um, has, to re- has to do with uh, issues of conflict. Um, how many of you guys have been in a, an issue of conflict? <laughs> I know, so <laughs> very, very readily uh, you know, apparent today. Has anyone ever had a, a conflict that has caused uh, a separation between you and an individual that has led to you not speaking to each other for a period of time? Um, so everyone, everyone attests to that, whether, whether there is. Okay, has anyone uh, ever had a conflict that, you know, maybe after it's been resolved or, you know, but on the surface, that when you looked at what caused that kind of breakup between you two, whether it was you doing it or whether it was them not wanting to speak to you, it was probably them, right? Um, that uh, really the issue was a minor issue. Anyone have any... Can anyone say uh, or share anything that was like a minor issue that led to this resolve? Could be still too too soon. Too. <laughs> I had born, but I wasn't a believer when it happened. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, a long time ago when my wife and I were dating. Um, next week will be this is an advertisement. Next week will be our forty-sixth anniversary. But anyway. Um, she thought I, I had called her. You know, this was and it cost money to call back then. You know, but uh, I called her and, um, and I told her I was at such and such, and she heard differently. She thought I was at this other place, mm-hmm. and that caused great conflict in our relationship for like two or three weeks. She wouldn't talk to me, wouldn't let me come over or anything. You know. And, so I was freaking out because I really liked her, you know. Yeah. Um, but finally, and so really all, what it boiled down to was a miscommunication, which, you know, for me, I think a lot of times when I reflect back on a conflict in my life, um, regardless of the situation, it usually is something minor rather than major. Mm-hmm. And usually, usually um, revolves around communication. Right, yeah. Um, but thankfully... Issue is resolved, right? (laughs) Or we think it's not. It's not still lingering. Um, There was a, and I I don't know where I I heard the story. Has anyone ever heard of the the uh, conflict? Uh, Well, first, is is everyone aware of the two brands, Adidas and Puma, shoe brands? Is anyone ever aware of the conflict that happened that bled to Puma and Adidas? So these two brothers in Germany, you've heard of the, the so, um, so there are two brothers that uh, in the 1930s um, were shoemakers, and uh, they had their, uh, you know, I guess shoe company, um, and they were in, uh, they were in Germany, they were part of uh, Nazism kind of during that time, but interestingly, uh, they got um, Jesse Owens to wear uh, their shoes during, uh, um, you know, during the, uh, the Olympics at that time, uh, which kind of put them on the map um, as far as shoemakers. Uh, well, there had been some um, apparent conflict between the brothers and their wives just not getting along. And when the Allied um, troops, I guess, or, or airplanes were bombing Germany, they went to an air raid shelter. And uh, one of the brothers was in the air raid shelter first with his wife. And when the other uh, why, you know, the other, his brother and the other wife came in to the air raid shelter, a comment was supposedly made uh, that the, the dirty blank uh, uh, are there coming. Um, and 
he apparently was referring to the the planes that were bombing. Well, the wife and the husband thought that they were referring to them as they were walking into this air raid shelter. And as a result of that, the brothers actually decided to split up their shoe company and go to other sides of the river in this town, create their company, and uh, one became Puma, and the other became Adi, uh, or sorry, Adidas. Uh, the one brother was um, Adi, his was the first name, and uh, Dossler was the Dossler brothers. And so made the Adidas Shoe Company, and they have been kind of um, rivals ever since. And so it's interesting, I read uh, an article recently about the mayor trying to actually bring ties together 60 years later, that you were either a Puma person or an Adidas person um, with the clothes that you wore. Uh, part of it was which one you worked for, you know, so it could be like you're either a Coke person or a Pepsi person, but even the branding kind of... Uh, kind of had a trickle-down effect uh, inside this uh, issue. So the mayor, kind of to resolve things and uh, to bring them back together, you know, he would wear, like, both shoes when he played soccer and, you know, one Adidas and one Puma. Um, but it had kind of a, a ripple-down effect. And they even said, like, we're not even sure exactly if, all, if those issues are true or just kind of mythology. But the, the, the result in the fallout was, whatever the issue was, it caused these brothers that were in business together to split up and even form their own companies and to go about it uh, in different ways. You just see it kind of an interesting like brand rivalry that actually started amongst uh, brothers themselves. Uh, but it's you know, seemingly a small issue or a misunderstanding, and who knows if he really meant it. And if you read more about it, the brother that was uh, formed Puma, was, uh, he was, um, uh, I guess, um, brought, you know, brought into the Army. What do they call it when you are... Drafted, yes. He was drafted in the army. He blamed his brother that his brother, you know, had him drafted so he would be pulled out of the company, their company, before they split. Um, he was captured by Allied forces, and there's even, I guess, records of him saying that his brother ratted him out, you know, and uh, tried to, tried to um, you know, get him in trouble and imprisoned and all of these things. Uh, and so, and then that's what kind of led to some of those things. But it's the suspicions that kind of, you know, starts with something small, grows into something bigger, and then ends up becoming a divide where you're on different sides of the river, forming your own companies, doing your own different thing, um, and never really reconciling amongst each other. And seeing that trickle down uh, to the future. Well, as we get into our passage today, um, we're going to see that, uh, that the apostles and the elders, you know, through the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, um, have some recommendations that they're going to give the church. And really it's to remove the obstacles that, uh, for faith and for fellowship. Removing obstacles for faith and for fellowship. Um, now, even kind of, kind of saying that, if I say an obstacle for faith, hopefully you don't think that I mean that there's something that needs to be done in order to believe. But we do know that... Um, that Certain things harden people's hearts and make it harder to believe um, until the Lord opens up your eyes uh, to um, your need for Christ. And so that is one aspect of what we'll see, but also for the fellowship of believers. And so, um, let's see here. So we'll be in verse 19, but I'll, uh, you know, right after... um, 
Right after James had gone to the Old Testament, uh, so James, the brother of Jesus, had gone to the Old Testament and kind of said, well, these are some things that were prophesied before that God would be going to the Gentiles. Peter had already said that he went to Cornelius and the Holy Spirit orchestrated events. We talked about that last time. Um, Paul and Barnabas said, I went to, we went to Asia Minor and preached and Gentiles were coming to the faith um, and people were encouraged by that. And then James says, yeah, you know, this is what was talked about in the Old Testament and prophesied in the Old Testament that the Lord would at some point be turning to the Gentiles. And we see that this is kind of what the Lord is doing here. So verse 19 says, Therefore my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols, and from sexual immorality, and from what has been strangled, and from blood. For from ancient generations Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. So really, what, what did uh, James conclude? You know, what, was, what did he say? Verse 19. Yeah, so, so let's, not, let's not trouble the Gentiles any further. Um, because, and because of that, what would we assume? That because of, remember the issue was that there was a group of Jews, uh, Jewish believers that came up, so men from Jerusalem, believers from Jerusalem, and they came to the church in Antioch, and they were saying, you need to be circumcised in order to be saved. So because of that, that was placing what on top of them? It says you're trouble, but really what, you know, what, what did it place upon them? What's that? Like an obstacle. An obstacle, yeah. So an obstacle for them to uh, navigate around. Um, a burden that is placed upon their shoulders, you know, a heavy weight, a yoke, you know, all of these things are, are things that have been described about the Old Testament um, and the, the requirements for Israelites. And over the last couple, you know, couple of teachings, we've looked at why that was placed upon the Jews, why that was even acceptable and required by God. And so what, they're, what, what the Jews are saying are really birthed out of like what they grew up to know and understand as faithful Jewish followers. But with the New Covenant, Jesus said, you know, that, that law, that burden, really you've kind of multiplied the ordinances that God has required, you know, because the Pharisees did add extra things on top to help them not violate, you know, some of these um, laws that were in their, uh, in their tradition, uh, or really, I guess, in, in the Law of Moses, um, and so, uh, to place that on the Gentiles who don't have that background, who don't have that knowledge, um, is unnecessary. And so he says, we don't want to trouble you. We don't want to cause any disturbance. We don't want to add an, uh, an obligation. And so we're going to write a letter and we're not going to send more people up, um, well, they will, but we're not going to send like a delegation up. We're just going to, uh, to write you a letter and then have the people read it um, and then, then bring that up there. So we don't want to trouble you. We know you're dealing with your own issues. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll give you some recommendations. So what should be described in the letter? So there's four things to not do is really what, what we'll see. 
Um, so nothing that they have to do, and that was what was kind of required of them, but there's really four things that they said, we don't want you to do these things. And so the first thing is abstain from things polluted by idols. Like, what do you think that means? Abstain from things polluted by idols. Okay, so things that are sacrificed to idols. Now, Paul will pick this idea up in other chapters. Um, so, so I guess you could say in a couple ways. It's either, either uh, practices that would involve other people um, that would lead them to feel like they are engaging in some sort of idolatry, whether it is directly or often indirectly. And so what's one of the things that Paul will pick up in a couple letters um, in 1 Corinthians and Romans uh, where he talks about a practice that some people would associate with idolatry? What would that be? Yeah, eating meat sacrificed to idols. And so if there was meat sacrificed to idols and then it's being sold later, just by partaking in that, some people would feel like they are engaging in an idolatrous worship. And we could kind of take a turn and stop and look at those things, um, but uh, that's probably for another, another teaching. But there are things that we have in our own lives that come out of our tradition that, you know, once you're saved, you kind of look at that as like a, a practice that you don't even want to engage in. You don't want to, you know, be involved in. And by doing so, uh, you feel like it's a violation, you know, of your conscience, a violation of what God desires for you to be live holy, and uh, anything that goes against that, right, against your conscience, you would see as, you know, I don't know if you would look at it as idolatry, but really that's what it is. It goes counter to what God is is desiring for your life. And if you do something counter to what God is, you're kind of really then accepting something that is a counterfeit to God, which is an idol. Um, that was a, the the warning in First John. Uh, if you you know if you read First John, um, I think maybe everyone as, as you get to the end of First John, you're reading all the things that he talks about. And then how does um, you know how does uh, John conclude his letter in First John? What's that? I think I heard somebody say it. Yeah, keep yourself from idols, little children. Keep yourself from idols. You know, verse 20 in 1 John, he says, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourself from idols. (laughs) And you're like, okay. Um, And that's how he concludes his letters. But really, you know, it's kind of like that last warning to just say, hey, Keep yourself from idolatry as like a as a warning, and the fact that like it almost like it begs the question like I don't know how, how have I ever engaged in idolatry? And if we look at deeply enough, there's plenty of things that we probably will elevate to the level of what we would call law, things that we should do or should not do. Which Paul really goes back and says it's a matter of conscience, you know, and that's what he speaks about when he talks about talks in his letters, and we'll look look at a couple passages uh, in a second, but. You know, for him, he said, I'm free to eat meat sacrificed to idols because I don't see it as an issue. I don't see that as really an idol. I just see that as something they're engaged in this practice, but I see this as a way, you know, I just see this meat as meat. The meat is not tainted. Um, and so I'm free to eat from it. But because other people see that, um, then I will refrain from doing that. So if you were to abstain from things polluted by idols, what is the reason for that? 
So he's talking to a Gentile audience who would have come out. Let's just, again, let's say, let's use that, the one example that they came out of worshiping Zeus, okay? And say that worship Zeus, that you would have brought you know, meat to Zeus, and then it would have been later served in the marketplace. As a Gentile, to abstain from meat sacrifice to idols, what would have been, what have, what would have been the, uh, the reason why that was a good idea to not do, not, to not engage anymore? Okay, so one, it would be for them to identify with Christ and no longer with this idol practice. So that's true. And on the surface, I think that's primarily where a lot of us go whenever we have an issue of conscience. We're saying, how does this, what does this say about me? You know, and really, what does this say about what others see about me um, and my identity with Christ? You know, why don't I not engage in this practice? Well, it's because... One, I don't feel that, you know, I feel like it's idle, but it's also like how do, how do others perceive um, seeing me who now I identify with Christ, I don't want to be seen as identifying with this others. Again, there's, there's complexity that comes within those issues. So for the Gentiles, it would have been said, identify with Christ. Now, who are they trying to identify themselves with who, or to? Who are they, who are they trying to, to show that to? Okay, so the Jews would be primary in this issue. Because who brought up the issue in the first place? Yeah, so it was the Jewish believers that were like, hey, listen, they're still engaging in some practices that they shouldn't. Now, as a byproduct, they're also going to show to the Gentiles, like, hey, how come you're not eating this meat? And it's like, well, you know... They could either they could they could say, well, you know, I don't engage in that anymore. I know, you know, I follow Jesus. Um, Paul kind of takes a different route. He says, don't do it because there may be others who are going to go against their conscience and you know engage in that practice. And so you're really doing it out of love, not out of an identification. Um, but all of that, you know, kind of plays into the plays into this package. Really, the issue is, is, is that if you eat meat sacrificed to idols, who's going to be offended? The Gentiles might be offended, but are, and, and if the Gentiles are offended, what do you risk doing? So we'll say the unbelieving Gentiles. The unbelieving Gentiles, if you, uh, if you offend them, what do you risk? Okay, you risk maybe alienating them, and you risk them what? If we put it in terms of like, what's that? Well, it could be copying them, but if you alienate them, then what would that risk? What's that? Their salvation, okay? And so then you kind of place that burden of salvation on your shoulders, not on God, who can work through all those issues and bring that to them. Bigger than that is who else is going to be offended? So these Jewish believers... And even if it's like, I'm free to eat this, and, you know, the Jerusalem Council, if the Jerusalem Council said, you know, hey, you're free to eat meat, sacrifice to idols, it's totally fine. It's going to be the issue that Paul is going to address in 1 Corinthians. He's going to address it in Romans. And some people even do it today, where they're like, I'm free in Christ to really do anything that I want. What's the problem with that? Is that some people's freedoms are used as a license, yeah, for them to sin. And it's also used as a way to alienate others inside the body of Christ. And some people kind of flaunt their freedom um, 
to, you know, for those that, you know, have a weak conscience, that's how Paul would say it, or for those that don't feel comfortable with whatever practice. And we can look at a whole bunch of other practices. I mean, you know, when I, that's probably one of the big issues when we talk about issues of conscience or, you know, I call it like gray area issues, like things that you should do or not do as a Christian. You know, what are things that we should do? You know, and so there's some things that like, uh, you get kind of get to that issue, like, well, the Bible doesn't really say. Um, and so then you kind of, you know, have to make a determination or weigh on one thing or another. And so there's a lot of things, especially in different cultures, as they relate to others. So that's one thing, is abstain from things polluted by idols. And we know that, uh, we know that he's speaking primarily so you don't offend other Jews, because that is something that is um, read in the synagogues. We'll see that, that at, the end of this, at the end of the passage. Um, or we've already read that. The second thing he says is abstain from sexual immorality. Why? So what's that? Because <laughs> it's bad. It's almost one of those things that you're like, did you even really need to say it? Um, but you know, uh, what's that? Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, and so part of it is, you know, and again, we don't have a whole lot written about it, but, you know, would, would they have still engaged in those practices, you know, because it was so overtly tied to what went on at the temple. But we do know that uh, historically that Gentile cultures and, and you know, uh, the society as, as a whole compared to the Jews they had lax sexual standards. And so this became not only a ritualistic issue, which was like, hey, this was a practice that would happen in the temples, um, so you probably shouldn't do that or go find, you know, find yourself in the temple. But secondarily, they might have just been freer with things like, what's the big deal? We definitely see that in our culture, right? Where people, you know, if you had two people, like, even identifying issues of, like, dress, we would probably say, like, is that, you know, is the way that person dressed, we would maybe say like modesty, like modest compared to immodest. Like that's maybe how it would, you'd see this in, in our practice today. But even back then, there was different, different issues of just sexual, um, you know, morality. That, remember that Paul had to address the issue in 1 Corinthians 5, where he said, I hear that among you, what, you remember the issue? That there's a man who is having sexual relations with uh, his father's wife. And so, you know, he's like, that was a practice that even Gentiles were like, whoa, whoa, you crossed the line there. But that in the church, like, they didn't seem to want to address. Now, there was bigger issues going on of really, like, addressing the sin issue. I think people still fought, felt like it was a big deal. But we have those same, same issues where, you know, sometimes you're like, well, what's, what's the big deal? And so they wanted to say clearly... Abstain from sexual immorality um, because, one, you live in a culture that while 
where you're coming from, even though you might be coming out of this issue, you know, might be coming out of this practice and still be tied to desiring to go back to that. There's also an issue of of uh, how you will be seen amongst the Jews that we don't want to offend the Jews um, because Jews have uh, more pure standards than the Gentiles typically did. So that was another thing that was added. Thirdly, it says abstain, I guess you could say fourth, three and four, abstain from what's been strangled and abstain from blood. So why was that an issue? Abstaining from what's been strangled. What's that? Yeah. Exactly, exactly. So uh, if something had been strangled um, in order to kill it, in order to then eat it, um, that was something that went against the uh, Jewish standards about how they would prepare food because if you strangle it, the blood would still be in it. For uh, the Jews, they would slit the throat and you know uh, drain the blood out. Um, and that goes back to God saying that life is in the blood, so don't don't. Uh, have anything that is with it. So strangled is kind of leading up to the idea <clears throat> that it would have blood in it. And then the idea that, um, you know, for Peter, <clears throat> remember when he had his kind of rooftop vision, there were things that just kind of like turned him off, like, no, Lord, I can't do that. I can't, par- you know, partake in that, even though he's getting a vision from God. And three times he had to be told, no, it's okay. It's okay. So on the surface, you know, you want whatever you eat, just go ahead, you know, Buy kosher, um, you know. Uh, take that extra step so that you will be looked at as favorably amongst the Jews. And it wouldn't, it wouldn't uh, turn them off and then keep them away. That instantly would have been something that would have kept Jews away and would not even have allowed them to, to kind of mingle with each other. So all of these things are kind of, kind of laid down, um, you know, in order... Uh, for the sake of the Jews, to one, keep an open door for them um, as, you know, wherever Paul went, he spoke to the Jews first because they had a special place in God's purpose. And he really just wanted to say, like, this is the last step. Like, Jesus Christ is, the, is that Messiah that was spoken of. This is like you've come this far. Your tradition has poured so much into you. Now just, you know, understand that God has now given you this Messiah. It's through Jesus Christ believe you know, believe in him and you will be saved, um, that the Jews are, you know, were like 90% there. I mean, that 10% is, is, is plenty. But they were 90% there where like, hey, we still want to keep an open door for the Jews, so don't automatically offend them by making them think that this is this whole new religion, that this is this whole new thing uh, that has come about that is way different than what they grew up believing, what they understood it's just the final piece of that puzzle to help them you know so we don't want to offend them we don't want to keep them away and keep an open door but also for Jews who would later come in who are still wrestling with all of these dietary issues and following the law and all these things we don't want to then just like hey welcome and then punch them in the face right uh, we want to keep keep you know our the church intact and, re- and keep that relationship there so how do we know that it was for the sake of the Jews that these things were to be done, is because in verse 21 it says, For from ancient generations Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in 
the synagogue. So essentially, Moses is still revered by so many people. Um, you don't want to go in and say, like, this is totally goes against Moses. That was really like a lot of what the Pharisees and the high priests were saying, is that this Jesus, he's preaching against like everything that we've ever, you know, we've, we've believed. And Jesus is like, I'm not abolishing the law, right? I'm here to fulfill the law. That's what I'm trying to do. And Because a lot of the things that they would point to were either, A, traditions that they had added onto the law, or they just took what he was trying to do and just said, you know, you're going against Moses. You're not, you're not following Moses. And Jesus would say, Moses spoke about me. You know, the prophets spoke about me. These are the things that I'm just here to fulfill as I'm coming and teaching you what it means to be a you know, kingdom citizen of God and what it means to follow the Lord completely. And so um, he says the Mosaic law is still read in every synagogue. And because of that, at some point, they would come in contact with these laws. If you look at these four prohibitions, they're actually covered in Leviticus 17 through 18. So if you look at these four things, those four things are covered in two chapters in the Mosaic Law. So at some point, if you're saying, like, it's totally cool to eat you know, meat sacrificed to idols. It's fine if we eat you know, things strangled by blood. People would be like, well, I remember reading at some point where, like, that's not okay. You know, that was, that was not okay. So how do you resolve those issues. And so, you know, but, you know, so we've talked about that, about how we really resolve those issues. And those issues are, were guidelines, were uh, put down for the Jews to follow. And it's okay if they still want to follow some of those traditions, just like, you know, when we became followers of Christ, there's still things that it's okay, you know, to follow certain traditions that we grew up with. Um, Some that we would say, probably shouldn't engage in it's probably counter what god desires it's probably um against what uh you know christ wants for our life um but there are other things that it's it's okay it's okay to um engage in certain practices uh that you know for one reason or another either ritualistic um that's the things that we want to go away but the moral standards are still still apply yeah Why? Uh, has a ring to that. Why these four are no more? Why would you know, because like there, there would be other things that would have offended the Jews. Yep. Is that yeah? Um, what's that? Like bacon cheeseburgers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> One is, is, yeah, why, why not anymore? Well, in the first part, they said, we don't want to add any sort of, we don't want to add any more burden to you, okay? And so we don't, we don't want to add anything to you. So we're going to give you these four. I'm sure there's a whole list, because there are lists that Paul sometimes in certain letters, he'll write like, you know, hey, don't do these things. And he'll say like five, and then some others he'll say like ten. Um, and so... You know, Peter, the same thing. He'll, he'll add like a whole list. So when you kind of pull them all together, you kind of have guidelines for a lot of different areas of life. But I think these are kind of, these are central. Um, I think for a Gentile, you know, for a Jew, what a Gentile ate, I think as long as you first start kind of, if you, if you kind of had the big picture ones, then I think maybe these smaller ones would fall into place. Um, because in the letter, right, I want you to abstain from these things. Kind of have it as a goal. Let's start with these small things. You know, and then we can work on other ones later. But I think these would be the, 
the central ones that would have automatically turned off a Jew and just said, you know, there's no, like, I can't relate to you. I think if you would have said, um, abstain from what's been strangled by blood, like, then they could make that next conclusion that we probably shouldn't eat bacon either, you know, just for the sake of, of the Jews. Um, but if then you start adding on a bunch of other things, well, then almost these almost become like laws that they have to follow. So it's almost like then tr- now transferring. We, I know we said you don't have to follow the Old Testament law, but really once you abstain from everything that is violated in the Old Testament law. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, so why those four? I don't know. I think just by prudence they picked four. I guess you could really say three, um, these three things or four things. But um, to say one of these is kind of idolatry, the second is moral standard, and the third is dietary. So if we kind of pick like three things that, that follow like different areas, like then you could kind of fill in the rest. Um, but we know that you know, Paul, you know, Paul spoke about it in Romans, um, kind of more in a general sense, but he spoke specifically in 1 Corinthians, like, hey, here's some issues that you need to, you know, to not do or to do or to be more considerate about, especially as you think about others that are in your congregation. So but that's a good question, like, why these? Because um, I think that, too, you know, why do you even need to say sexual morality? Like, I think, I guess it's some, you know, the answer is yes, because for some reason they felt like they needed to say it. Um, but we don't know exactly how that was being foreseen. We don't know if these were the issues that were brought back. You know, hey, this is what they're doing in Antioch or even up in Asia Minor. So let's address these, these prominent issues. But they are pretty broad in, uh, in addressing some of these things. So just, again, to kind of reiterate the fact that, uh, you know, that what is being said here is echoed in other places in the New Testament, that salvation is nothing that we do, but as a result of our salvation, there are things that we don't do so that we don't break fellowship with others and so that others may be open to the message of salvation. Right? We know that we, whatever, you know, like if you look at one of the examples for an elder, that he must have a good reputation uh, amongst all people, not just those that are in the church, but even those outside the church. And why is that? Because if you're going to have a leader in the church, um, that somebody is going to kind of be ahead of an organization, those on the outside should not be offended by that person who is leading, you know, uh, who is a shepherd over that flock. And so that was spelled out specifically, but the same thing applies to everybody, right? We want to be a light to others. We want to be a witness to others. But more importantly, we don't want to break fellowship inside, uh, inside the church over some of these issues. Paul spoke about it in Romans 14, uh, verses 15 through 16. He says, For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. You know, Paul speaks to that issue pretty clearly. 1 Corinthians 9, 22 through 23 says, To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. So you have right there, you know, kind of that, that kind of twofold issue. 
You don't want to eat things because you don't want to destroy people that are in your church, right? That are your brothers and sisters in Christ. You don't want to like offend them. So kind of think about those things. There are, there are times where people are overly sensitive and they're offended by everything. And you have to like kind of work through that and just say, hey, listen, like this is more of an issue of preference than an issue of conscience. You know, that's kind of a, another, another issue. But you work through those things. You have dialogue. You talk about those things. You just don't say like, I'm freeing Christ. You know, you suck it up and deal with it. Um, you know, if you've had that conversation and talked and, you know, you're still unresolved, maybe you kind of have to end it with that. Like, hey, we'll just be resolved to not be resolved on this issue. Um, but also, Paul said, you know, for those on the outside, I have become all things because I know that I, as an evangelist, want to go out and I want to win others to Christ. So I will adapt and adopt certain standards and practices when I'm with different people. And so he says, I'm able to do that, but I'm doing that for their sake and for the sake of the gospel. Now, we know he would draw a line at certain areas and, uh, and not get, get engaged. Um, Peter, you know, and, and we refer to this, Peter in Galatians 2 was spoken of by Paul as being engaged in a practice. And I want to go there just to see that, you know, even after Paul, Peter was involved in this uh, Jerusalem council and spoke up on behalf of, of the Jews, um, would be, be involved in, you know, this kind of controversy. Actually, we'll talk about this. We'll talk about that next time. Because there's really, like, one other thing that I wanted to get to. So we'll, we'll talk about Galatians 2 next time, because once they read these things out, we'll, we'll hit that and uh, kind of speak to a little bit more. So um, there's always going to be a tension within the church between fellowship and uh, and obedience to Christ, you know what what does it mean? You know what are the things that I need to do, and am I making those things a law unto myself in order to relate well with others and have a good reputation amongst others? Because ultimately, you know, we don't do for the things for the sake of others; we do things for the sake of God. But if we think of those, the two commandments that Jesus said, you know, love God and love your neighbor. How am I loving my neighbor? And by loving my neighbor, I'm ultimately loving God because they are image bearers of, of God.